0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, RotoViz radio listener, this is Curtis Patrick from the Dynasty Command Center podcast, and I've got a special deal for you today. Go to RotoViz.com, click the subscribe button Patrick Mahomes with a rope. this one out! Touchdown! This
1: time going deep for Beckham Jr. He's in! Hello, everyone, welcome back to Road of His Overtime on Road of His Radio, brought to you by Blue Wire. My name's Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at Overtime and I'm joined by Sean Siegel, one of the co-owners at Road of His, my co-host here on the Road of His Overtime podcast, and Sean. Uh, second show of the week Scott Fish jumped on on our show on Tuesday and um, hopefully the listeners enjoyed that and of course we're back today with another one as we aim to do three shows a week uh, for the rest of the offseason potentially as we we ramp up the content here on Rotovis Radio. Uh, fun show in store today Sean as we look at uh, some players and some ADP as well so always always a fun topic when we get to dive into specific players.
2: Yeah we're gonna look at Uh, A couple of recommendations from Sam Wallace. One of the things that has been fun in terms of researching my own articles over the last couple of weeks and some of my player recommendations, so many of them uh, really take the lead from articles that Sam has written in the past so we can play off of those. When I looked at what Sam wrote last year, I find so much of the success that I had was based on players that he recommended. So, Uh, If you're out there, if you're looking for someone to read and win your league, Sam Wallace has been doing a great job. We'll look at a couple of his guys. We also have a new writer who debuted on Friday with the site, Corbin Young. He's got a cool look at some running backs who have a chance to really uh, completely change around your team at a minimal price. And so anytime that we can get bell cow running backs and not have to pay a lot, Look for them to win leagues for us. Maybe even work in uh, if you're doing sort of a mild version of zero running back. Uh, be somebody who can lead your team there. You know, those are the guys who change seasons for us. So I'm excited to talk about Corbin's article, and and we should have some good player recommendations for you today
1: yeah looking forward to it uh you know the show sheet looks pretty stacked here so let's get let's get into it sean i know uh, one of the guys was going super late last year we picked him up on a, a couple of different rosters uh, that that had quite a bit of success um and the ffpc main event team uh, with ben actually uh, was one of those leagues and you know at the spot where we were taking him it, it was like one of those questions well does it work out for him or doesn't it work out for him in, in carolina but uh, robbie anderson had a big year last year um, had a you know a really strong start to the year, but the one thing about him was, as we looked through it, uh, first two weeks were wide receiver, one weeks didn't hit quite those heights throughout the season, but had a lot of high teen kind of close to you know nineteen seventeen points uh, game so had a a really consistent startable uh, weeks particularly obviously we're looking at from best ball but from season long as well he was usable uh, on a very very high percentage of his weeks Uh, finished uh, the season with 136 targets 95 receptions and over a thousand yards so really really solid all around what's your outlook on him this season as he he currently sits at uh, wide receiver 33
2: yeah and you mentioned those numbers those were all career highs right? And you go through and look, and one of the things that Sam mentions is that this all happened with Teddy Bridgewater throwing for only 3,700 yards and 15 touchdowns. So to, to look at those numbers and think that he would have three fantasy relevant wide receivers is kind of crazy, right? I mean, you have Robbie Anderson scores 225 points. We get 211 from Moore, 211 from Curtis Samuel. And the interesting thing here is that Robbie Anderson is not particularly expensive and yet he's not one of those free guys. So he comes in that area where maybe we're starting to transition to running back selections, and we have to make this somewhat difficult choice of deciding, okay, well, do we think that Anderson's season last year is a good indication of where he is now and sort of where he's going? And the theme that Sam was kind of using in this article and what he wanted readers to understand in terms of value is that there are some guys who finished a little bit slower who may be a little undervalued now as a result. So one of the things that he and I were talking about in relationship to this article was a cool piece that Brian Malone wrote for us a number of years ago, using the road of his screener, breaking down the season by halves, and looking at whether or not these people who finished fast then had a big advantage going into the following season. Brian's thought initially, his thesis before he started the research was that, okay, these guys who finished strong, they're going to be players who then really come out of the gates, well, they're the next wave of players. We should be sure that we're really aware of those fast finishers and draft accordingly. But that's not really what the numbers came out and showed, right? And so we may have an opportunity to get some of these guys with a little bit slower finishes at a discount. Robbie Anderson, 16 points per game over the first half of the season, only 12 points per game over the second half. And now drafters have to decide you know, what element there is accurate. And probably it's going to be that 14 points per game that he averaged for the entire season. So then, column, I think that the the question here is, how much does the departure of Curtis Samuel create both a little bit more floor and ceiling for Anderson as he tries to build off of that season? Now, we do have a cool article coming out from another new writer this week looking at the, the potential impact from Marshall in this offense and that he may come in and do a lot of the same things that Samuel did a little bit more similar in terms of some of the routes that he can run than people may realize because we tend to think of Samuel and their new rookie as being different types of players how concerned are you about the fact that this offense probably even with Sam Darnold who in some ways is even less proven than Teddy Bridgewater almost certainly has a higher ceiling but also a lower floor, right? But he does have that familiarity with Anderson. One of the things that Sam mentions here is that Anderson is the wide receiver 29 in the range of outcomes tool. So we can be fairly confident that we're getting a decent value for Anderson when you're talking about wide receiver 33 coming off the board. And there may even be upside there if this offense can take a step forward because they're not necessarily going to be a team that throws a lot to the fourth receiver, or to the tight end
1: yeah so the fourth wide receiver yeah obviously we're looking at a lot of targets going the way of uh if we say the fourth receiver uh and christian mccaffrey but in terms of how it went last year like mike davis had a a career year i guess as well he had 70 targets so i would say pretty much each and every one of them plus some more is probably going to go to christian mccaffrey when he comes in the big question is going to be that hundred targets that has departed with Curtis Samuel now I don't think the rookie is going to get all 100 but obviously they've made some adjustments at the tight end position as well and I think that'll factor in the the big question mark is the quarterback and, and Sam Darnold and um, we have seen them play together in New York previously and you know you mentioned about Bridgewater Bridgewater is basically you know steady level at all the times it's never going to spike up and be great it's probably never going to just fall off a cliff either but that's not going to really excited that much. What Sam Darnold has is he can hit those highs but he can also hit those low lows. Uh, I think though I still have belief in Sam Darnold being able to turn things around and be a pretty good NFL quarterback um, and I think like if you look just the efficiency of this offense last year you mentioned the numbers 3,700 yards. If you look between uh, Samuel Moore and Anderson. It's over 3,000 yards basically uh, from those. So there was really nothing after them that to be divvied around. Uh, I, I think that Anderson and Moore are both very attractive uh, options this year. And I, I'm drafting DJ Moore very confidently this season. And if you look at how it finished up between those guys last year, like. Anderson had uh, 20 more targets he, and he he, uh, he almost had 30 more receptions So 29 more receptions did finish less in yards and where this team really fell down was in touchdowns uh, just didn't have the the upside from a touchdown perspective but Anderson had three touchdowns more had four touchdowns so when we're looking at you know the confidence we have in DJ Moore moving forward we should be pretty confident in Robbie Anderson as well based on how he performed with Moore in the lineup last year. So I, I'm targeting both of them. I think this is another offense that is has been a little bit overlooked. Obviously you have the high end players and McCaffrey and Moore, but I think um Anderson is somebody who, who could be tempting. And I, I do think Darnold as well has has an option to have, have upside as well.
2: Well they definitely made the change at quarterback because of this inability to attack deep you look at Anderson and his line from last season and it's really hard to understand how he could have had 29 more receptions than DJ Moore and gain 100 fewer yards despite being one of the faster players in the entire NFL so a little bit of that is that they used more as the vertical guy maybe that doesn't exactly fit with the skills that those guys possess maybe they'll go in a little bit different direction there again bringing the rookie in to do some things as well. But like you said, we think that getting the most out of DJ Moore was the impetus for this move to Darnold. Whether or not he can do that is, is sort of a separate question, but at least know that the Panthers want to. And I think that if you have the confidence in Moore, then Anderson also has to look like a pretty good value at his ADP. So I think this is a, a great value pick here. Colin, so then we look at Tyler Lockett. I know a guy that you have always liked. You like the vertical element of the Seahawks passing game. We know again that there was a big split between first half and second half Lockett scoring just under 20 points per game, really. In the first half of the season, that falls to 13.6 in the second, which means that he's a high end wide receiver one. And then he's someone who starts to fall into that wide receiver three range in the second half. We know that the Seahawks will come out and said, okay, we intend to have a horrible, boring, inefficient offense again in 2021. If anything, we'd like to make it worse. And yet, at the same time, I mean, they're going to do some things here with their offensive scheme to try and get that efficiency level back up. You know, you look at someone like a Russell Wilson, and it's very hard to hold that player down for a long time. I expect Wilson's efficiency to spike We don't know what the volume will be. I just think that there'll be some pull of running a real NFL offense. And even if they kind of went in with this idea of, okay, we'll be like the Baltimore Ravens. You just don't have the same pieces to do that. Right? So I think that we're going to see a bounce back from this passing game. Would you agree? And, and what's the outlook for Tyler Lockett here, uh, splitting targets with DK Metcalf but maybe not having a lot of targets going to peripheral players within this offense.
1: Yeah, we're seeing here is very um, concentrated offenses, I guess, if we look at it. And luck, we, I don't know, can we ever say that there's going to be a change in philosophy, I guess, by the the Seahawks other than to want to run the ball? We got kind of eight weeks last year where we we thought that we were going to get uh, Russell Wilson unleashed and things were looking very smooth. And uh, it obviously tapered off very, very rapidly after that. The, the I, I really like Lockett. You mentioned it. I've liked it since he came into the NFL. Um, You know, have owned him in Dynasty Leagues for a long time and uh, re- really do like what he actually brings as a, an NFL player. My problem this year with him just, and he's going currently at wide receiver 22, is that he's going in that range, and I mentioned this uh, on a couple of shows, where the players that I'm targeting in that kind of fifth-round range where he's going are... Some of those uh, quarterbacks, you know, Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson, or T. Higgins, Uh, Branton Ayuk tends to go in that range as well, so there's just, I have a number of players going at that point that I prefer over Lockett, but I I really do think that, you know, if it was a situation that he was available, uh, you know, I, I would be interested if those guys were gone. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer, but um, that is, that is my kind of aspect on, on Lockett this year. I, I do also have concerns about the offense, but when we look at, let's say, the Titans, uh, we talked with Ben about them uh, on last week's show, and when we look at those guys, you know, Julio and A.J. Brown, and then you have Derrick Henry, we have a very similar probably setup when we're looking at the Seahawks. So I think there's enough for those guys to both... Um, have have a lot of success but I do feel at the moment that you know in terms of the trajectory and upside I think clearly at this point Metcalf um, has that real elite upside to to be be that superstar and I think Lockett's going to be you know your consistent option I think he probably is going to and this has a real value as well but I think although they're a different type of player I think he probably falls in now to that Julian Edelman category where he was for the last maybe three to four years of his career where he was able to put up those quite consistent points, but we we mightn't have been just drafting him as early based on the potential upside that we were thinking that he was gonna have. So I really like Lockett, um, but he's just in an area where I'm I'm targeting other players. Is he somebody you're targeting or is he are those other players that I mentioned kinda um, you know, making it hard to draft him over them?
2: Yeah, he's he's not, even though I think he's a good value. And so that kind of raises the question of, well, why would you not be hitting someone who is this good value? And I think trying to work through that for yourself to make sure that you're making the right decision uh, is an important part of the process here. So, you know, are we passing on Lockett because he is getting a little bit older and is suddenly just not fun? Because that might be a problem if we're passing on someone just because it's very
1: true. <laughs> yeah,
2: not kind of the trendy move to make. Are we concerned about the offense to the point where, again, some of these other guys in this range we think are the big time talents? You mentioned the discussion we have with Ben. He's saying A.J. Brown is going to be the guy who scores regardless, right? He's good before the catch. He's good after the catch. He's going to demand targets within an offense. One of the things that I think is interesting from this perspective of how do you project players, and and obviously that was the big topic on stealing bananas this week, but the better the player is, the more that his targets are going to be almost unrelated to the offense itself and what the target share is going to be. He'll get whatever target share is necessary to get the number of targets that his offense needs him to have in order for the offense to work, right? But that brings us back to this question with Lockett and Metcalf. And if we're going to have an offense that maybe is a little bit lower volume in the passing game, Like, which guy is the guy? Because it's probably DK Metcalf, right? Last season, Lockett had three more targets, and he had 17 more receptions, but 250 fewer receiving yards. And so with Metcalf, if he takes another little step forward, then we could see him starting to demand targets and catching the ball at a rate that really leaves Lockett at a position where, Yeah, there are scenarios where he's still a very good player, but there are also scenarios where he's more this like 13 and a half points per game player who wouldn't be a value in this range. That's the kind of thing that we have to look at again is how much does the second half of the season matter to us and how much does DK Metcalf's presence matter to us? Last year, Lockett and Metcalf split the touchdowns 10 and 10. And as a result, they finished only eight points apart for the full season. It's probably easier to see a scenario where that gap widens than where Lockett sort of takes the lead, even if it's just for one season. We think, okay, well, what are the different scenarios? You know, could Lockett do this? We like the floor. We like the weekly upside. Are you concerned at all if you are someone who is in a traditional redraft league and you're having to make your starting decisions every week that if you get into a stretch where you've used a high pick on Lockett, but then he has a couple of bad weeks that you're going to be concerned about even putting him into your starting lineup and that, from that perspective, Lockett's a little bit tricky from a roster construction.
1: Th- that, that's fair. It's definitely fair. Um, I think the even more so than Lockett, you you mentioned about the kind of maybe a little bit lower volume passing offense, and I think that's what <laughs> what'll happen. People who, uh, particularly in redraft, the draft Lockett, I think we're gonna you could get into a situation after five weeks where you're like, I just can't start him. The offense isn't you know there's not enough volume there. You I, the Seahawks, I think, will be pretty good this year, and I think you get into a situation then where if they have the lead, they're not going to be trying to push the ball downfield quite as much. They're not going to be pushing that tempo. I know there's like, you know, if the Chiefs are winning, you can be pretty confident they're going to keep trying to move the ball. Uh, We've seen when the Ravens have been winning, although they were doing it by rushing the ball, they continue to try and kind of force the ball down the opposition's throat until they, they, they could score more points. But I don't think we'll see that with the Seahawks. I think Seahawks are quite comfortable in you know 17 14 games 17 13 games they're they're not really trying to push uh to try and hit those 30 and 40 point days so that would be a concern where I think that you're when you're having to put them into the lineup each week that we're we're starting to think can we be confident that the the volume is there and that's that's a hard thing to think about about the definite wide receiver two on a team if not potentially a wide receiver one that we don't know if we have a weekly volume to Start him confidently.
2: Yeah, I would just finish this conversation up by saying uh, every season I sort of just miss in terms of drafting Tyler Lockett so I would have had him on my board just after where he's going to go. We'll discuss him when I'm co-owning teams and people like let's let it wrap back around let's see if he makes it. He never makes it and then I always regret that decision. So, you know, at a certain point when you regret the decision enough you feel like you have to, to pull the trigger but I find that When you finally go ahead and select the player, you know, several years down the line, that doesn't work out either. So anyway, regret not drafting Tyler Lockett. Do think that he's a good value in 2021. Uh, Just be clear on where you want him on your board, how he fits in with your roster and your overall build. uh, If he does what you want him to do within the context of your overall plan. Sam also has one other wide receiver in this group. We won't spoil that for you. Uh, He is someone that we like on the show. I don't think that you'll be surprised, but make sure you check out Sam's work on the site and call him after the break. We're gonna find out a couple of running backs who could really set your team up nicely without having to pay uh, those first round prices.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: So, Sean, you mentioned it uh, at the start of the show, new writer up on the site. There's a lot of exciting uh, talent um, involved, obviously, in general with the road of his writing team, but in terms of the, the new guys coming in, uh, the majority of the time we see them hit the ground running and really um, put out some amazing content. That first piece that you mentioned was from Sam Wallace. Uh, Sam has just been a, a megastar since he kicked things off. Uh, on the site but Carbon comes in here and we're talking about um running backs and you mentioned before the break there that we don't want to pay those big prices I think anyone listening to the show probably realizes that I actually had a, a draft that uh, started yesterday um and I was glad to pay the the big price I got my guy Jonathan Taylor at the the 108 so uh, uh trying to build up those shares so I don't mind paying the price if the if the guy is the right guy but um what, what has Carbon got for us here in his uh, his debut piece
2: Well, he mentions the research that Jack and Charlie before that have done on this concept of big gap and small gap running backs in terms of ADP and running back teammates, right? So basically the concept is that if you have one running back being drafted really early, one running back being drafted really late, those are big gap guys. If they're being drafted more in the same area, those are small gap guys. The big gap guys tend to score the most points. And they're tied for the highest win rate. And so one of the things that that we can feel comfortable with, and and this is intuitive, right? Is that if a running back has all of his team's volume, then he at least has the things in place to go on and have a good fantasy season. Now we know that running back injuries come into play. We know that uh, win rates sort of across the board for running backs can be problematic. We know that we don't want to have too many running backs that the whole I mean, really all of fantasy football boils down to this idea of winning the race to fill the flex. You want to be very wide receiver heavy, but within that concept, I mean, you you do want to have some running backs. And so if we could get somebody who's a big gap back, right? So fantasy owners are basically saying based on how they're drafting these guys, we think that this is the guy in the offense. If you can get that guy and not have to pay a lot, then that's pretty compelling. Now, In those cases, we can probably guess that maybe there are some things about the running back that make them a little bit less expensive. But I think that's why this conversation will be fun today. So the two guys, Mike Davis, he's got a FFPC redraft ADP of 49 and Miles Gaskin, that ADP of 57. Davis, someone who scored a lot of points, especially in the first half of the season last year in filling in for Christian McCaffrey. He now has this sort of bizarre situation within the Atlanta Falcons backfield where they added him and then they didn't do anything else, right? And so it's it's very difficult to figure out, you know, who's going to touch the ball, who's going to catch in this offense if it's not Mike Davis. Now, the very fact that Davis is a, a three down back, looked good last year, but then collapsed in the second half as the bell cow in carolina now that's the main reason obviously that he is not more expensive than he is come take us through the way that you look at davis what are the crucial things that we need to know about his profile both to the good and the bad
1: well the thing i like about davis was this time last year it was virtually uh, free uh, we were in a situation where in this the, there is obviously a mention of Christian McCaffrey uh, and Chubba Hubbard in terms of their differences which is is pretty massive it's almost 150 spots in terms of ADP so we're probably not that far off now I don't have the data in front of me but last year this time with, with Davis and um, that was obviously the reverse of this now we're in a situation where he looks to be the the main guy and in this article we're looking at the the other option and it's Javian Hawkins obviously um the rookie down in Atlanta so when we look at Davis I think there there is the upside there for to do what he did last year I think and I don't know if you agree but I think what we've seen last year was the probably the maximum of his upside I don't think he's going to get the same uh, volume probably in Atlanta and I I just have a lot of concerns he for me he fits right into the guy who was potentially a zero running back guy, and now is still potentially for some in that area of zero running back. But where he's going is above where I would be willing to take somebody in that range and firmly, as we touched on a couple of weeks ago, in the running back dead zone. So I have a large amount of concerns there. I think we touched on it as well on one of the shows where I said, "Is he a value at whatever point it was he had dropped around in one of my drafts?" And you you didn't really think that he he was a value at that point. So I'm interested to see what your thoughts are now, but. Uh, even in the the draft that i did with zachary Kruger for for our um, our hundred thousand dollar ffpc draft we did take hawkins and that he's somebody who i've been picking up so while it mightn't work out while he potentially mightn't make the roster when it comes to cuts and things like that i think the upside of taking him at that point versus the the options that are available around where davis is going um is is too much to pass up but i think when we look down at the other guy that uh, is written here by Corbin is um, Miles Gaskin now I have drafted Miles Gaskin in a couple of drafts after he is um, going quite a bit below ADP but uh, Salvin Ahmed who had a pretty solid run last season um, at one point in the season I think um, is the other option now if I was looking at which of these two I'm willing to take at this point I would be more willing to take Gaskin um, uh, just based on I, I think Davis is probably at his his peak value at this particular point. Um, Do you agree, disagree with that, or or how do you feel?
2: Well, uh, the Davis question I think is interesting because it it does relate pretty strongly to this uh, topic or theme that Ben and I have been talking about on Stealing Bananas this week of player talent and how that really tends to dictate touches as you go through a season. And it can be a mistake to look at someone who appears to have the volume early in the year, if they don't have the talent to back that up and and obviously talent and skill are two different things, but, but roll that into a ball, looking at like who that person is as a player, will they be able to maintain their stranglehold on the volume at the same time? Davis is interesting, right? Because he's one of these guys who was considered to be a big time college prospect until he finished slow He comes into the NFL without a lot of fanfare, doesn't really get much of a chance early on. And last year was really the first time that he got to show what he could do, right? And so he has those first five weeks of the season, all of them running back two or better, three of them, more than 22 points a game, and then the wheels fall off, right? Seven of his last nine games, he's a running back three or worse. Actually, six of those games, he scores between 8.1 and 8.8 points. So, I mean that that 8 point range very very tight for him in terms of what he was doing in the Panthers offense. So, I, I guess then the the question becomes is Atlanta completely different? Because we could look at this and say, okay, well, you know, Mike Davis couldn't maintain it as the season went along, but how many of the guys that we look at as being much bigger talents would have also crumbled within that Panthers offense? Because we were just talking earlier in the show about how Teddy Bridgewater didn't exactly lead a juggernaut and things kind of got worse as it went along you think about well you know what are we excited about with the Panthers offense in 2021 and obviously it's those couple of receivers it's Christian McCaffrey but it's it's Christian McCaffrey right I mean he's what makes this offense work and we know that Davis isn't at that level but when we look at the Falcons offense maybe it's completely different right we have these dome games we know that the Falcons do get their running backs down there by the goal line we know that Todd Gurley was so washed up last year that they basically could not play him and yet in the first half of the season when they were sort of forced to based on the fact they didn't have anybody else and that they just signed him to a free agent contract and looks pretty bad if you take someone with Todd Gurley's name and say okay we, we paid you but now you're so bad that we can't play you at all which was the case as the season went along but when they actually were playing him he was scoring well right so is the difference between Carolina and Atlanta so large that we should actually see Mike Davis as being that guy who, over the first five weeks that he really was the player in Carolina, where he was just a, a clear-cut, not just running back one, but a high-end running back one? Do we still like the Falcons in that light, or does the loss of Julio Jones put them more in the middle, where you know, it becomes a difficult call here?
1: I think I'm still much higher on the Falcons than you are heading into the season you know I, I know we've talked about Matt Ryan a few times I'm quite confident that this is going to be a, a pretty strong team um, in terms of putting up offensive points I think they're going to struggle a lot defensively and I think that's going to lead them to be in situations where we get into more pass sets and, and more aggressive play calling so if we're looking at a situation where we get down near the goal line and he gets in on those that's that's fair enough but I think in terms of where the it's going to be, it's going to be concentrated, and I think it's going to be concentrated between Pitts Ridley and obviously Matt Ryan producing that. So there is going to be other options. There's Russell Gage, and um, there's you know a, a number of different scenarios. But I don't see this team being in the lead a huge amount of times where we're getting lots of rushing work done for Davis now, if he can do it in the passing game like he did show at points of the last season. But it felt to me like the work he was doing in the passing game was a little bit of an anomaly or a little bit fluky you know when we look at those numbers then throughout that point you know week seven eight nine ten he didn't hit double digit points in that section you know if he's a running back that we believe that can handle eight to ten targets a game we should be expecting more than nine points from that guy so fair enough it might be a better offensive situation or a better quarterback situation with the Falcons but I think that if we're expecting him to be able to elevate that floor and turn those weeks into 15-point weeks when he's getting those 8-10 to targets, I, I just think that there's too much that has to be done for him to get to that point. But my other concern is I think that the guys behind him are a threat to his starting job, so I can't confidently pick him at his spot with the thought that he may not be starting running back come week three. And something that you did mention a number of times on this show before and you mentioned it with Ben was... You're kind of drafting teams for week five, week six, week seven. What is the ADP at that point? And I feel like at that point, Mike Davis could be in a a lot different scenario than we're picturing him at the moment.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Miles Gaskin. I think that he is the more exciting of the two, and he's also a little bit cheaper. So that may be the direction we want to go with this. The contrast between Davis and Gaskin is really pretty extreme here in that we saw all of those running back three or worse weeks from Davis. Gaskin last season, when I went back through this as I was editing the argument for with, for Corbin and kind of chatting with him about it a little bit, I mean, Gaskin averaged 16.8 points per game last year, right? Eight of his 10 weeks, he was a running back two or better. He had 34 points in week 16. I mean, this is a guy who had some very big performances and the Dolphins seem to be looking at him more like the guy who could do that again, right? They didn't go out and address this in a big way between week seven and weeks 15, he just played twice, right? If he played during that stretch and continued to score like he did the rest of the season, there'd be no way you'd be getting him at this value, right? The other thing that's kind of interesting here, and I don't know that it necessarily is something where he would be better with Tua than with Ryan Fitzpatrick but it was relevant or it was interesting Corbin points out that you know uses the game splits app in those five games of Tua he averaged 19.9 points per game right I mean so you're talking again about high-end running back one value now one of the players that Evan mentioned on the third episode of Stealing Bananas there was Tua and this Dolphins offense and how it could potentially take a step forward and how all of these guys are undervalued so I think that that is, is the case with Miami. I think that they're going to be a better offense. I think that their guys are going to score some points. So if you think that Gaskin can completely hold off Ahmed for the role here, then this is the value that I'm starting to like a lot more. Now, one of the things that always concerns me is you have these guys like Gaskin who I think actually should be given more credit for their talent, and yet the team doesn't always do that. He has a very similar situation in to guys like a Philip Lindsay who come in and what they did in college was just so absurd. Then they either don't get drafted or they get drafted at the very end of a draft. And you're like, okay, well, you know, NFL GMs continue to make the same mistake of not giving players credit for this extreme production in college. You know, Gaskin is not someone who's sort of a completely out of nowhere player. I mean, he was a collegiate star, right? So what we see here with the Dolphins and with them not doing the thing that Jacksonville did to James Robinson is they're going to let him have a chance to show that he can do this. And the Rotoviz range of outcomes tool really likes him. Corbin pulls out the fact that he's in the top 10 when you sort by targets and targets are something we're always looking for from these guys who are players we prioritize as your running back options. And the thing here with Gaskin is that, unlike a lot of the guys that we mentioned as being zero running back candidates, it's not even something where we need something to change. He's just right, starting in running to in the situation. I mean, Gaskin basically has the situation right from the get-go that we're always looking for and saying, like, if somebody gets hurt or if the backup shows that he's the better guy and he earns the workload, then we're golden. Well, well Gaskin's there right from the start.
1: You yeah, know, I, I agree with that. And, you know, when you mentioned, you know, the targets who are looking at where I mentioned about the floor basically with uh, Mike Davis. I think there's a a much higher floor and then when we get into if he can get the full workload here there's a much higher ceiling I know he had one huge spike week but if we look at the weeks outside of that he had only one week below uh, and I know we missed some game times like you mentioned there only one week below double digits um, and that was at 9.2 points so we're seeing him be able to have weeks that are going to be usable at least and if we can get the, the targets we're going to get those kind of three points I guess you know one point each time is going to is going to add up over the season so that's where my concern is with Davis is that the floor is very very low and if things don't go exactly how people may be expecting um, it's a situation where the floor could become pretty much non-existent very quickly whereas I think Gaskin has a, a safer floor and I think the upside in that offense whether it takes a step forward or doesn't um, I think is going to be going to be pretty solid for him. So uh, I have, as I mentioned earlier, taken Gaskin in some drafts, not a huge amount, but um, I, I do think there's upside there. And he's the kind of player I expect that ADP probably will rise as reports start to come out of uh, you know true camp and things like that. But uh, anything, Sean, as we get get ready to wrap up here, that you you want to mention uh, to to see things out?
2: Yeah, just again w- w- with Gaskin there, the targets from the ROO tool—that's a projection for what will happen this season. It'll be interesting to see how the running backs are involved in that running game or involved in that passing game with the additions they've made at wide receiver. They have some more options that they can go to. But we do like Gaskin there. And just a welcome to Corbin in terms of uh, joining the site, writing a very good first piece. We're excited about what he's going to do. And Colin, I'm excited to have Scott Fish on again for the third show and and getting fired up about some of these drafts, including the fishbowl coming up.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well. So, uh, going to be interesting um, to see how some of these running backs fare over the season, and of course the wide receivers as we talk through them. Uh, having Scott on on Tuesday was phenomenal. If uh, if you haven't heard that show yet, head back and listen to it. If you haven't already subscribed to Stadium Bananas with Sean and Ben Gretch, make sure you do so. And of course, you can drop us a five star review as well. We do much appreciate that. And you can get yourself a ten percent discount to a one year Rodevaz subscription. All you have to do is add the code RV Radio Twenty Twenty want to check out or go to rotaviz.com forward slash podcast for more information that's bringing you to the end of our second show this week the third one coming out on saturday Uh, of course hopefully you've enjoyed this one Uh, do continue to share the word of the show it's great to see the interaction on social media and uh, people you know mentioning the show and enjoying the show we do appreciate that send us your questions at rotavizradio at gmail.com or on twitter at overtime ireland and, of course, my co-host today is Sean Siegel. Make sure you're checking out his work up on Rotovis.com. Until we're back on Saturday with another edition of the show, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotovis Radio. Please rate and review the Rotovis Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovisradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotovis Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotovis with a discount through the Roto-Viz Radio homepage, rotovis.com forward slash podcast.